<clears throat> so we've been looking at um, the life of Jacob this summer. We're going to continue uh, doing that uh, today, and we're up to probably the pivotal event in Jacob's life. Um, he, um, as we've studied him, there we'll look we'll look at him a couple more weeks. But this this really is the uh, kind of the key event uh, that uh, this encounter that he has with God, literally a wrestling match. Um, and so um, I wanted to include uh, all 32 verses of this story because it's um, it gets very helpful and it helps us understand um, exactly what's going on with Jacob this morning. And so, um, but before I read that, um, let me uh, pray and uh, we'll jump in. Lord, we uh, confess to you that... Um, we are uh, often uh, self-sufficient, independent. Uh, we only want a little bit of you until we have nothing else. And so uh, thank you uh, that you're good uh, to um, corner us, put us uh, aside uh, where the only way of escape is up through you. And so I pray that you would bless us today as we look at our father Jacob. Would you be our teacher? Would you help us and uh, encourage us today? We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So um, remember, uh, Jacob has been away from his home for 20 years. Uh, God finally told him to uh, uh, return, uh, and he is returning now. Uh, after some interactions with his uncle, also father-in-law, and he is on his way to meet uh, his brother Esau, uh, whom uh, 20 years earlier he stole from. He lied to his father at the instigation of his mother, and uh, here he is uh, on his way back home 20 years later about to meet uh, this brother. Um, and so that's where we find him. Uh, today, as we read Genesis 32, uh, 1 to 32, this is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and, and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me, 
from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first one, Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So, uh, Brian, you can go ahead and put my notes up there. So, what we see here in this story is uh, uh, a picture of someone who is at the end of themselves. Um, and it is, uh, it's such an important uh, thing for us uh, uh, to see and, uh, and to kind of come to grips with uh, this morning, right? Because uh, what we see here is to be broken of self-sufficiency is to be made ready to encounter and be used by God. That's a tough message for us, right? It was a very tough message for Jacob. Jacob was smart. He's powerfully strong. He is a savvy business guy. uh, And he is uh, um, a man in full in many ways. I mean, just look at all these animals that he has. I mean, literally, he's an agricultural conglomerate. I mean, he has, he has so much uh, uh, that he is responsible for. And yet, he realizes that he is in a mess. He's vulnerable. Because the last time, 20 years earlier, 
had he heard about his brother Esau, he knew that Esau wanted to kill him because Jacob had stolen from him. Jacob had lied to his father uh, and he had cheated his brother out of his birthright. Even though God had promised Jacob from the time of his birth that he would give him all of these things. And so here he is, finally, at this stage of the game, in a very vulnerable and broken place. Now, I want you to hear this this morning, because this is a hard thing for us, that desperation is the friend of those who know the truth about themselves. Jacob is finally to the end of himself, and he is in a desperate situation. He might die, and everybody that he loves might die with him. That plaintive word there where he says, the mothers and the children. I mean, he knows he is in a, uh, he's in a terrible, terrible spot. Now, one of the things that I want you to, uh, to note about this is, as we talked about this uh, last week, and it's this, I believe Jacob is changing. Remember last week as he talks to his wives, as Laban comes after him as he's leaving, he remembers that God had provided for him. And he says, everything that I've gotten, everything that I've received, all of the blessings I've had came from this God who met me on my way to Laban's country 20 years ago. And he blessed me. He was with me. Even as Jacob schemed and even as Jacob was schemed against and scammed by his father-in-law, his uncle. But he's changing. And he's having to change because he is at the end of himself. If you read the commentaries and you read a lot of what people say about this, they're down on Jacob. They don't like him. They think even here as he's scheming to send these presents ahead of him, it seems like he's still old Jacob scheming. But I think... Uh, I think he really is actually changing. And one of the, th the things that people read this and they think, oh, he sent his wife and his kids ahead of him. What a coward. If you read over in chapter 33, uh, as they come, uh, as day breaks, he goes ahead of his wife and children and gets between them and Esau. Thought about Jacob this week and what would I do if Jacob came to see me this week? And he said, 20 years ago, I stole everything from my brother. 20 years ago, I lied to my father at the behest of my mother. And I took what I shouldn't have by stealth and by scandalous behavior. And now, now, I'm going to see him. What do I do? Where can I go? He has every right to do me harm. He has every right to kill me. He has every right to hate me. But now, I'm going to meet him and his 400 armed men. What do I do? What do I say? Where do I turn? Next slide. Well, I think one of the things that we miss about this text uh, is that there are a million different ways 
Jacob can go back to his home country. But he chooses the way that will lead him to a direct confrontation with his brother. He is going to reconcile. That's what he's doing. Now, this is, this is something that, that uh, you, you have to see about this because there are lots of different ways that he could go, but he is choosing to go by a way that will take him in a direct confrontation with the brother he stole from and that he fled from 20 years earlier, right? And one of the things to note about this is that's so interesting is as, as Jacob, you know, divides up these flocks and he sends these hundreds of animals ahead of him, you know, you could read that as, oh, he's trying to manipulate him. Or you could read that as, I stole from you. I stole from you. Here. I can't restore everything that was stolen. But here. Have this. Here. Let me make this up to you. Here. You know, it's a gospel principle, isn't it? That oftentimes when we seek uh, reconciliation and we seek resolution and we seek forgiveness, we forget that when we have wronged someone, when we've stolen, lied, cheated, hurt them in some way, that there are plenty of times where the right thing to do is to make amends, to do something to restore in, in whatever small way you could do that what you stole from the person you wronged. And so I think part of what's going on here is, he said, you know, you, you were supposed to get the lion's share of the inheritance, you were, and I, I stole all of that. God had promised it to me, but rather than wait on God, I took it for myself, and I humiliated you in the midst of that. And so here, Lord Esau, remember that's part of the, of the blessing, is that, that Jacob... Would the younger would rule over, would be the Lord over uh, 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 the older. And, but what we see Jacob saying here, and I think this is a direct uh, allusion to that, is he repeats uh, several times, my Lord Esau, this is your servant, Jacob. And so I really think, you know, for all of his brokenness, for all of his scandal, for all of his scoundrel behavior, for all of the terrible things that are true about Jacob, something's happening here. Uh, I think he, uh, uh, I think part of, of, of what uh, he is experiencing is you can get the sense of his anxiety building up, you get the sense of his fear and his concern, and yet God meets him on the way and gives him eyes to see the vision of the very host of God, the very angels of God camping with him and going with him to pr protect him. And yet, even in the midst of all that, he knows even as he prays, even as he struggles in this night there about what's going to happen to him the next day, we see Jacob turning into a man with no more schemes, no more lies, nothing. It's just him. It's just him, right? And so we read here that he has this great 
uh, uh, prayer that he prays. And he uses God's own words and commitment are the basis of his pleading. And it's worth going back and reading that again, Brian, next slide. He says this, O God of my father and God, uh, Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. It's a dangerous thing ever to use a character in the Bible and say, do you see what he's doing here? You should do this too, but I'm going to take that risk today, especially when it's somebody like Jacob. Jacob, in his desperation, goes to God in prayer, and he goes to God in prayer by citing God's promise to him. God, you, you said you would be with me. You said you would provide for me. You said you would protect me. You said you would see me through. And so now, as I am facing an existential crisis, literally, my life and the life of everyone I love is on the line. Will you be good to your promise? Will you bless me? Will you protect me? Will you keep the word that you said? Today, you may be in a mess. Today, you may be facing something awful. And maybe you had it coming. Maybe it just came your way. Let me tell you today that when that time comes to turn to the promise of God, because the promise of God is a place to rest your soul and a place for you when you are in trouble and at the end of your own rope and you have no other place to turn but to remember this God who loves you, who died for you, who rose again for you, who has promised to see you through to the end, who said that he would be with you to the end of the age. It's not that God needs to be reminded of his promise in this prayer. It's that by saying these things, Jacob is giving voice to what God has already said to him and giving voice to the, the only comfort, the only place he can go, the only place where he can settle his soul in the midst of this turmoil and the midst of the storm that he's in. And so he prays this great prayer, even as he's thinking, well, I'm going to give him these presents and I'm going to do these things because... This is what I believe God has called me to do and to be. Next slide. And so as he sends everyone out there, he's there alone by the, the, the Jabbok sitting there. And in the dark, somebody comes and wrestles him. <laughs> right? What a crazy story. There he is all by himself and in the dark. He can't even see who it is. Someone wrestles with him all night. Jacob's a strong guy. Remember when he wanted to show off to Rachel, he threw the rock off the top of the uh, well so that they could get to the water? He's a powerful guy. 
And yet he's wrestling with someone that the text says is a strange thing, right? That the, the person who was wrestling with him couldn't overcome him, but as day is about to break so that Jacob would not see his face, he reaches out and taps his hip and it's immediately out of joint. The wrestler, Jacob's been wrestling since he was in utero, right? He wrestled with his brother. He was scrapping. He wrestled with his brother for the first years of his life. He wrestled with his uncle, then his father-in-law. He's wrestled with his wives who have fought over him. He's wrestled, he's wrestled, he's wrestled. And all this time, he thought he was wrestling with people, but he was wrestling with God. Would God be good? Would God keep his promise? Would Jacob believe God and trust him to fulfill the word that he gave to him? I used to wrestle, not that stuff you see on TV. I used to wrestle in college, in high school, and I did some intramural wrestling in college, which was lame, but uh, I did some real wrestling in high school. And I don't remember a lot about it except being tired all the time and miserable. It was the most miserable thing I've ever done in my life. But the other thing that I remember about it is what my opponents smelled like. Because when you wrestle with somebody, you get close enough to smell them. You smell their sweat. You feel what their body feels like. You feel like what they're like. And so God comes to Jacob and says, hey, wrestler, you've been wrestling your whole life. You thought you were wrestling these other guys, but you've been wrestling with me. And I'm here to show you that I love you, and that I am for you, that I am with you, and that I will see you through. What God could love a lying, cheating scoundrel? Right? So sometimes we find ourselves in situations like uh, Jacob because they just fell, we fell into them and they just fell upon us. Sometimes you get a, a diagnosis or you have a, a, a job that goes south or things come to you that are out of your control and you're alone on the side of the creek with just you and God. But more often in my life, I'm left alone on the side of the creek in a vulnerable situation because of my sin, because of my lying, cheating, unbelieving lips and heart. And when those times come, and when we find ourselves in that, the temptation for us often is to think, I'm too ashamed to do business with God. I'm too afraid. And there are times where we can be presumptuous, certainly. But a desperate man knows, and a desperate man will take help. And God says, help. God promised to be with him. God promised to deliver him. God promised to provide for him. And in this weird kind of way, there's God struggling with Jacob, and he wrestles him. And he changes his name, 
and he changes him for the rest of his life, right? You know, the, it is, it, it's, a, it's a profound thing for us to, to think about that. Now, Jacob's going to come away from this experience uh, wounded. Uh, he will limp for the rest of his life. And I, I tried to do the math on this to figure this out. I mean, he's going to live like another 50 or 60 years with a limp. But every day when he gets up and he struggles to get out of bed, you know what he's going to remember? He's going to remember this. He's going to remember this God who loved him. He's going to remember how in his hour of need, in his brokenness, in his desperation, that he brought upon himself, God delivered. That God is so gracious that he tied himself to Jacob and nothing could change that. Um, I want to end with a couple of things just to encourage it uh, today. Um, so there's this pastor in New York, Rich Viadas, uh, who's written a couple of books. Uh, he's got a, a great church up in uh, uh, New York City. Uh, he was on uh, the third hour of Good Morning America. I don't watch that. Uh, I don't watch any network TV, frankly. But uh, I heard about this, and so I watched his uh, interview. Uh, and what I love about pastors uh, is when they get interviewed, you know, the interviewer wants to control the interview because, you know, the pastors, are they might do anything, you know. They might say anything. And it might be really bad, you know, embarrassing. Uh, trust me, I know. And he said, well, she's like, do you have any final words for us? And he said, well, you know, I just want to remind everybody, you know, we've been through a terrible period of time. And we're still in it. But there are four things that are repeated in the Bible over and over again. Four things that uh, we see illustrated in this episode in Jacob's life, first is that God says, I love you, Jacob. I've always loved you. I loved you before you were born. You belong to me. You can't get away from me. Jesus said, no one could snatch us from his hand. So all your scheming and trying has not changed the fact that I love you. And I'm here right now with you in your time of need, and I'm going to wrestle you to the ground. Secondly, I am with you. The fact of the matter is that as Jacob is there all alone, and I'm sure he is overwhelmed with anxiety, God overwhelms him with his presence. Jesus has said to us that he will be with us. He poured out his spirit upon us. There's no place we can go where Jesus is not with us. The highest place, the lowest place, the darkest place. Even the darkness is light to him. Thirdly, don't be afraid. What a joke, right? Don't tell me not to be afraid. I have a right to my fear. Well, I think what the Bible means by that is, uh, don't be ruled by fear. Jacob's afraid. Oh, the mothers and the children. I am afraid. 
but God is with him and gives him the courage to do what he must do to reconcile with his brother. And then the, the last one, you can come home. There's a place for you, Jacob. Sorry. There's a place for you right here. You can come back. All your lying, scheming, cheating. All of that stuff you grasped after yourself that you thought you were going to gather to yourself, I've secured it for you. Come home. Stop what you're doing. Right? Next slide. So when I was in college, like many college students, I did a lot of religious experimentation because um, I grew up in a, in a very tiny fundamentalist church and suddenly when I went to college I discovered all kinds of crazy people out there that were religious and wrote about religious things. I'm going to give you two of them here. I'm not recommending their books. Don't go out of here and read it and don't come to me and say you shouldn't have mentioned that guy because he was a heretic, right? Well, you know, uh, the fact is, uh, we need to learn to read critically, right? So uh, Thomas Merton was a guy I read in college. Uh, uh, he was a crazy Trappist monk, uh, in many ways uh, really crazy. Uh, but he says this, and I think this is a good uh, place for us as we think about Jacob this morning, Right? And think about our own desperate situations, right? Despair, which we're all tempted to, is the absolute extreme of self-love. It is reached when a man deliberately turns his back on all help from anyone else in order to taste the rotten luxury of knowing himself to be lost. In every man or woman, there's hidden some root of despair because in every man or woman, there's pride that vegetates and springs weeds and rank flowers of self-pity as soon as our own resources fail us. That never happens to me. But because of our own resources inevitably fail us, we are all more or less subject to discouragement and to despair, right? Despair is the ultimate development of a pride so great and so stiff-necked that it selects the absolute misery of damnation rather than accept happiness from the hands of God and thereby acknowledge that he is above us and that we are not capable of fulfilling our destiny by ourselves. Next slide. But a man who is truly humble cannot despair because in the humble man there's no longer any such thing as self-pity. Jacob has come to the end of himself. There's no room left for him to despair or to have self-pity because in his desperation, he goes to the only place he can go and God delivers him, right? It's a painful deliverance, a deliverance that will cost him his mobility in some ways and that will mark him for the rest of his life. But do you think Jacob regretted that? Do you think he went through the rest of his life thinking, well, yeah, that God delivered me and he showed himself good to keep his promise, but my hip hurts. Uh, Frederick Buchner is another one of these weird writers uh, that I read when I was in college. He died this week. He was almost 100 years old. And uh, he wrote this, and I, I think Jacob probably would have said this about his hip. What's lost is nothing to what's found. 
And all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. You know, only in Christ, only in the gospel, can that be true for us. But it is true. And that is the good news, the great news that we have today, desperate uh, sinners that we are, uh, uh, that God sees us, that he knows us, and that he makes real in time and space his promises to us. Hear these words of institution, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's confess our sins. My soul longs for communion with you, for mortification of indwelling corruption, especially spiritual pride. Lord, give me more of your likeness. Enlarge my soul to contain fullness of holiness. Engage me to live more for you. Blessed Lord, let me climb up near to you and love and long and plead and wrestle with you and pant for deliverance from the body of sin. For my heart is wandering and lifeless and my soul mourns to think it should ever lose sight of its beloved. Wrap my life in divine love and keep me ever desiring you always humble and resigned to your will, more fixed on yourself that I may be more fitted for doing and suffering. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name. We celebrate the Lord's death uh, every time we read this text uh, with those chilling words on the night in which he was betrayed, <laughs> right? Uh, one of the things that you love about the gospel, one of the things that is so true to us uh, about the presence of Jesus is that Jesus uh, comes near to and redeems and changes people like Jacob, people like us. Uh, we have, as we come to the table today and as we eat this bread and drink this cup, I want to urge you today uh, to do a couple of things. One is, I want you to ask yourself, what are you desperate for? What do you need God to do for you that you cannot do for yourself? 
turn to him, hear his promise, trust him. Maybe this morning uh, in your addiction or your lust or your uh, uh, seeking, grasping after things, you're ashamed. You're all alone in that shame. Let me urge you today uh, to turn and remember the promise of God that you're not alone, that he is with you, and that he will deliver you even if it means you get delivered with a limp. He will do such a great thing that he will expand your vision and your understanding of his cross, of his atonement, of his love to sinners like us. And lastly, Jesus is good. Uh, he, and he is good uh, to people like us, not because we deserve it, not because our theology is correct, or not because we've got it figured out, but because he's good. And once he has set his affection and his love upon you, uh, his goodness will never let you go and will indeed see you through to the end. If that's your hope today and that's your profession and you have professed to a body of believers somewhere that left to your own devices, you are doomed. But because of what Jesus has done for you, you have life and hope and joy, a future and uh, a great uh, expectation that this God will fulfill his promise to you. You profess that to a body of believers somewhere. He welcomes you today. He tells you you can come home. He set a place for you at his table. Uh, as the elders uh, uh, come forward to assist me, let me remind you the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice. Underneath every cup is a gluten-free wafer. Um, if you are uncomfortable taking directly from the hand of one of our elders, you can come and take from the table uh, over here to my right and uh, pick your, the elements up directly off the table. Once everyone has been uh, served, we'll eat uh, and drink uh, together. Uh, if you're unable to come forward, raise your hand, and we'll see to it that you get served.